This morning we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which I say is the greatest sermon ever told. It's a story of God's love intervening and bringing the spiritual realities of heaven into your life. Now today I want to bring, with the help of God through, through this passage, a spiritual reality to your awareness. It's not a very comfortable one to start off with. And in today's world, we, we, we love comfort. We want to pursue the feel-good stuff. And we have a kind of intolerance concerning negative feelings or negative emotions. And sometimes it's right to take our negative emotions and deal with them in a godly way and, and to deal with that stuff. A lot of it has to be just completely smashed, you know? Because there's a lot of negative stuff that will bring us down. However, in the kingdom of God, there is a godly sorrow that we must learn to embrace. It's the deep sorrow that God wants us to acknowledge and to feel for having offended him. Sin today is a no-no word. People say it doesn't really exist, or if it is, it's a matter of opinion. But the Bible reveals a God who is so holy, who is so great, so powerful, so transcendent, that the very worst thing we could ever do is to offend him, offend his goodness, offend his greatness, offend his glory. Now that's not the end of the story because God himself in Christ has come down to this planet to take away our sins, nail them to Christ on a cross, so that instead of wrath and condemnation that we deserve, we can receive his grace and his forgiveness. Now the pathway to that isn't automatic. You must repent of your sins which means you must first acknowledge him. You must acknowledge that you've sinned against a holy God. And that acknowledgement should also trigger something else, a deep, deep sorrow for having offended God, a true spiritual brokenness. So today my title is Brokenness, the Essential Oil of the kingdom. Many of you will appreciate and use essential oils, fragrance, some of which is very therapeutic, some of which is very calming. The beautiful fragrances that we extract from plants and flowers through a very tough process. Crushing, grinding, boiling, steaming, so that the precious essential oils can be extracted from the plant and then used in a way that is so beautiful. 
Sorrow for sin is the essential oil of the kingdom. It comes at a price and often it's painful. But the end result is so beautiful, so fragrant, so therapeutic, so comforting that we can understand what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Well, that's the second beatitude. I'll read it again and give you another passage as a background to what Jesus is referring to here. But let me remind you that Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by pronouncing eight blessed attitudes. The attitudes of those who are in the kingdom. Now, these attitudes are ours as a result of the new nature God has given us. We're born again, that old nature is removed and God implants in us a new nature. And this new nature has characteristics which are so beautiful and blessed. And we are to cultivate them and grow in them and we never, never move away from them. Let me read the first two. Matthew 5 verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now the background passage I want to read, it comes later on in the history of the New Testament, but James, the brother of Jesus, so often reflects very powerfully the teaching of Jesus himself, often word-for-word correspondence. So James knew what Jesus was talking about, when he talked about this spiritual mourning, mourning for sin. James 5 verses, James 4 verses 5 to 10. Now sit back, fasten your seatbelts, because you won't often hear these words read out and preached in a church service, because people say, we, we want something that makes us, something that makes us feel good. Well, sometimes you've got to go down before you go up. Sometimes you have to deal with those God-given emotions that are painful to embrace, but as soon as we embrace them, God relieves them. Well, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I'm so glad he added that bit, saying the only way up is down and far from the feel-good, superficial, 
Christianity that is often put forward, Jesus says, you've got to face this. You've got to embrace this. You have so sinned that you've offended God and you will never know what repentance is until you embrace that and come before God and say, God, I am deeply sorry for my sins. Many people will acknowledge that this is how you enter the kingdom of God. Repentance, which includes sorrow for sin, and faith, which is putting your trust in Jesus as the solution to your sin. A lot of people say, well, no, 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 we we want to be righteous conscious, not sin conscious. Let me tell you, the only way you can live in the joy of the righteousness that God gives you is first accepting that you are broken in your sin and you can't do anything to save yourself. Now, some say, okay, well, we accept that, but why are you teaching that today? Because we've left all that behind. We have come into the kingdom of God. So we've already repented and believed. But you know, repentance and faith is not a one-off thing by which you enter the kingdom. It is the lifestyle of the kingdom. And today, I want to call you to a conscious acknowledgement of what it means to walk in repentance and to know what it means to experience the joy of the Lord when he lifts that sense of mourning for your sin away from you and pours in the oil of joy, beauty for ashes, the spirit of praise in exchange for a spirit of heaviness. Let me begin by saying God acknowledges your brokenness. And I hope today you can acknowledge your brokenness. Brokenness before a holy God. Most often we are more aware of the brokenness that comes into our lives as a result of living. The pressures, the heartaches, the struggles, the inhumanity at times we experience as people hurt us or as we turn inwardly amongst upon ourselves and find a brokenness within that leads us down the path of self-pity and crying out in a sort of simply in a sense of pain. But God wants to take your brokenness and transform it into something beautiful and rewarding. As I said, just as we crush and press and steam plants and flowers in order to release their essential oils. So your brokenness, if you know how to acknowledge it and know the real purpose behind it, your brokenness and your repentance will rise to God as a sweet smelling savor, an aroma that delights him. And in response to that, he rains down his comfort upon you with this therapeutic essential oil of joy, the joy of the kingdom. I came across a remarkable quote this week. I've tried to search to see who said it. I don't know, so I've put it down as anonymous. Here's somebody, great insight. Listen to this. I want to live among the broken because I too am broken. And I believe it's only our brokenness, only in our brokenness that we find freedom and hope. Profound statement. 
Now, the next quote is from a Bible preacher, Vance Havner. I love what he says. Listen to this. God uses broken things. If you're broken today, get ready because God wants to use you. God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop. Broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It's the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. Now we need to acknowledge that there are two kinds of brokenness, one which is quite negative and takes you in the wrong direction away from God. And there's another kind of brokenness that is positive and brings you closer to him than ever before. The first kind of brokenness is brokenness turned in on yourself. It's inward looking at self-centered. It, it circles around self-pity, regret, self-loathing, self-hatred. It focuses on what others have done to you, how they've hurt you, how life has wronged you, how people or circumstances have let you down how you are suffering, what you're going through, your disappointments, your frustrations. And very often this leads to a shame and blame mentality. You feel shame, so you've got to blame somebody. And sometimes you blame yourself and that shame is intensified, but also we start to blame others. You let me down. You weren't there for me. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in this situation. And so what you want to do with this the feeling is, look, I've got to prove myself. I've got to justify myself. I've got to prove I'm right and you are wrong. And even when you cry out to God with such a, a negative sense of brokenness, it is usually for vindication. It's usually because you are squealing about something that you believe God had should have given to you. Why did you never allow me to be married? Why did you let this happen to me? God, you have failed me. I, I didn't join up to have this kind of dissatisfaction. God, and they start to wail from their beds. Maybe you've been there. I've been there. Thing is, I've got a godly wife. If I wail from my bed, she kicks me out of it and I have to come get on with life. Hosea chapter 7 verse 14 is a powerful verse. It describes a time when people were wailing, wailing, calling unto God, 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 where are you? God, come and do what you're supposed to do. And it was, funnily enough, a most religious bunch of people. Now, religious people very often know how to be down on themselves. They know how to do woe is me. They know how to wail and wail away. But it's not necessarily genuine repentance. And this negative sorrow doesn't lead to repentance at all. It leads to rebellion, actually, as we shall see. Now, what was happening? The sin of the nation had caused God's judgment to come, and there were things that God was withholding. The, the rain in due season, and, and the economy was down, and, and productivity was down. And, and so they came together, probably for prayer and fasting. And God hears all this, and he speaks to Hosea and says, Hosea, this was 8th century Israel, 800 years before Christ in the northern kingdom of Israel. And, and God speaks to Jeremiah and says, tell them, they don't cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. 
For grain and wine, they gashed themselves. They rebel against me. This is the sense of entitlement. Sometimes we feel worst when we miss what we considered God should be giving to us. We feel we have a right. We've signed up to follow Christ and we, we expect everything to go well, everything to be fine, hunky-dory, all the way ever need, it's there. He's only a prayer away. God, give me this, give me that. And when it doesn't happen, we think that God has betrayed us. Or when things happen to us where, where we feel the deep pain that comes from our own mistakes or just life. Don't have to live very long to know that life can deal you some very heavy blows and very painful blows. And so we, we go into self-pity, or as I say, a shame-based response, which is not genuine sorrow for sin. It comes as a kind of self-blame, self-loathing, almost self-punishment. They were gashing themselves in order to get grain. And there is something so ungodly about this. If I suffer enough, if I do this to myself, if I punish myself enough, then I will atone for my sins and God will have to bless me. This is paganism. And it's actually at the heart of all false religion that there's something we can do to flagellate ourselves and to beat ourselves in such a way God says, all right, you've beaten yourself now. I don't have to do it, so way to go. And it's rooted in spiritual arrogance and pride, hardness of heart, self-righteousness and rebellion. Is that enough to say about this? So you say, I don't want to go down that way. I hope it is. Because there is another way. Another way. And that is your, your, your pain and your brokenness. You don't turn it in on yourself in self-blame. You don't turn it out on others to accuse them and to blame them. You turn it to God. It's a God-directed, God-centered sorrow. And this kind of sorrow will bring you closer to God than you ever believed it was possible. And it's all about acknowledging what you have done against God. Not what God hasn't given you, what others have done to you, what you've done to yourself, what you have done to God. King David, after his horrendous series of sins. You recall the story of King David, one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament, and yet he committed adultery and then murder to cover it up. And he tried to hide this sin until finally it was exposed and he came to God. And this is what he said, against you and you only have I sinned. Pause. David, what are you talking about? You didn't sin against Bathsheba? Yes. You didn't sin against her husband by having him killed? Yes. You didn't sin against the others who died because you were having Uriah killed? Yes. You didn't sin against Israel? Yes. So what? All of these things, David said, were ultimately... And in the final analysis, sin against Almighty God. Until you know what your sin has done to God, you will never be sorry for your sins, you'll never repent of your sins, and you'll never understand what God had to do to bring Jesus down 
so that he would die for your sins. You'll never understand what Jesus had to go through to pay for the offense that you and I have committed against Almighty God. Now let's pause again right here because you know that what I'm saying today is as is so unacceptable in our society today. They don't recognize that there is a holy God if they recognize there is a God at all. Sin for them is, a, is an old-fashioned word. It has no place in modern 20th century society. It's all about what I want, what I can do, and if I feel I've gone wrong, that's me to judge and nobody else to criticize. And yet sin, when it comes right down to it, is sinning against the holiness and the glory of God. And it's that sense of the loss of God's glory, sinning against God's glory and the loss that that brings that will lead you to mourn for your sins even more than you will mourn for any other loss in your life. And we do mourn loss over this COVID period, we've lost many people. Even one would be many as far as I'm concerned. And we grieve for the loss of loved ones. Now, when Jesus says, blessed are those who grieve for they shall be comforted, you can take that as a word for you if you are mourning the loss of a loved one. Of course you can, because we grieve as others who uh, we grieve not like others who have no hope. We have a hope in God and, and, and he's going to heal the brokenhearted. He's going to lift you up. He's going to bring you through it as you walk through that painful path of grief. But this is not what's primarily in Jesus' mind. He's confronting us with the spiritual reality of the kingdom. And if anything is needed in our generation is a revelation, an intervention, of the reality of God's kingdom, the reality of the spiritual life, the reality that God is a holy God and He has appointed a day when He is going to be a day of reckoning. I'll tell you what, it's a judgment day that not even Arnie Schwarzenegger dreamed about. But when you recognize your sinfulness and the deep pain that comes from knowing you've offended God and you cry out to God in mercy. You weep and mourn for your human frailty, your deadness, your spiritual blindness. I know this in my own heart. I'm astonished after so many decades, not just of leading a major church, but decades of my own walk with God. I am so astonished at the lethargy of my heart and the tendency of my heart to go in the direction which is dishonoring to God. And I need to walk so closely with the Lord to bring that back and say, God, I am so sorry for what lies within me, but I'm so grateful for the new nature, for the blessing of the Holy Spirit, for your unconditional love, for your acceptance, for your forgiveness. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Jesus. That's why feeling deep pain for having offended God if it's directed towards God, will always lead you to repentance. 
Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He's talking about a time when he had to confront what was going on in the Corinthian church. There were levels of disobedience, levels of immorality, where God's word didn't mean very much where the moral values of the kingdom of God, of course, the kingdom is more than morality, it's a spirituality, but there was such a spirit of disobedience and they were almost proud and arrogant. And Paul had to write them a letter and he said, I made a very painful visit to you and I warned you about this, but you responded in the right way. Your arrogance was turned to deep sorrow and repentance And this is what he goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. How wonderful that God can take the deepest regrets of your life and banish them to the deepest ocean And in place of your regret, he brings praise and joy and glory to his name. Salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. That's where some of you are and you think it's godly brokenness. It ain't. It's self-fulfilling. It's self-promoting brokenness in which you wallow in your brokenness and think it's the spiritual thing. No, no. Today, make that transition from being sorry for for yourself to being sorry for your sins. And this kind of worldly grief is so destructive. And that's what we need to avoid. Uh, uh, And we could go on about that because uh, uh, psychology explains that so many of these negative things like self-loathing and self-shaming and self-blaming and all of this It's actually self-centered and it's very damaging to your human personality. However, when you hear from the Spirit of God and you recognize that you have and you still carry that tendency within you, you have fallen so far short of the glory of God and you feel the loss of the glory being stripped from your own soul, made for the glory of God, but stripped away And the glorious standard, the standard that brings God glory, the most significant thing in all the universe, the ultimate purpose of all things is the glory of God. And living for his glory is the ultimate good that you pursue. And you find there's such a lack of desire for the glory of God that we still are so bound by the glory of self. When you see that, you begin to grieve over that and God comes down. He comes down like an eagle swiftly swooping down to lift you up and to take you once again into the realms of the glory and where you breathe your native breath in the presence of God, filled with his glory again. Now, those who are sensitive to God's glory will have much to grieve over. Think about it. I've got probably too long a list, so I'll just touch on some of these things, but go with me if you can. If you care about what is right and good and pure and glorifying to God in the world, you will have so much to mourn for 
We prayed in the opening prayer of the conflict in Gaza, the conflict regarding between Israel and Hamas. 90% of those casualties were civilians in that 11-day war. Over 200 people killed in Gaza, 60 children, 60 children. And our hearts break when we see children dead, maimed, or made homeless, living in the rubble of what used to be their home. It breaks your heart because you know it breaks the heart of God. If you're close to God, you will begin to feel what God feels. And it's not just sheer humanitarianism. It's the depth of a spiritual experience when you encounter God and see what God grieves over. The pain and suffering in the world, war, poverty, injustice, cruelty, man's inhumanity to man, human trafficking, modern slavery. Do you know that today there are 40 million people trapped in modern slavery. Check it out. Go to antislavery.org. One in four of them are children. Three quarters of them almost are women and girls. In our own nation, they estimate 10,000 people now living in the living hell of modern day slavery, drug trafficking, human trafficking. And it may not just be what's going on within our shores, but what is happening as a result of our lifestyle. People being entrapped in the sweatshops in different parts of the world, children slaving away for very little. Or people serving our food, doing our washing up in the kitchens, picking our crops in the various cultivations of the world, working in factories, working in houses as cooks, cleaners and nannies. If you're a cook, cleaner, or nanny, it doesn't mean to say that you are a slave, but there are those who've had their passports confiscated. They live in fear. They came to escape poverty or insecurity. They came to improve the lives, their own lives, support their families. Now they're in prison, in slavery. Think about the devastation that sin brings. Devastation, violence, knife crime, lost generations, lost orphaned, fatherless generations, drugs, crime, broken families, broken marriages, broken people, broken mental health. We weep and mourn, do we not? We do more than that. We pray, we fast and try to do something about it. But it impacts us emotionally. There's a reversal of standards throughout the whole of our generation where good is being called evil and evil is being called good. And for all kinds of reasons, often in the name of equality, freedom, and personal choice. Damaging lifestyles are promoted without a thought to what's really going on in human sexuality and gender. Moving on to abortion, do you know that today 125,000 babies will be destroyed in the wombs of their mothers across the world? 125,000. 40 to 50 million global abortions each year. That should drive us to our knees as we weep and mourn for that loss of life, but also for the circumstances that surround the people who find that that's the only way out for them. The self-obsession of society 
If we were to write an epitaph on this dying society, it would be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. If you love God, you're going to cry. As the psalmist did, Psalm 119, verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears. Why? Because I haven't got what I want. Life is tough for me. People have been nasty to me. No, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. God's glory is being diminished. Our world is robbing God of his glory. And then, of course, that brings it all back to yourself. Most of all, you will mourn for your own sin. If you're truly born again, if you're truly walking with Jesus, you'll live with a certain kind of sin consciousness. Not dwelling on the past or living under condemnation, but you'll be so sensitive to the sin in your own life because your whole life now, you want to please God. You want to bring glory to God. The first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is when you acknowledge that you have no righteousness of your own. You have nothing to offer God. You are spiritually bankrupt. And you say, God, have mercy on me. And you find his mercy is there, that he's made full provision for the bankrupt nature of your own spiritual life and your own soul. And has poured into your emptiness the richness of Christ. And he says, indeed, yours is the kingdom of heaven. The whole kingdom of heaven belongs to you if you come this way. Now Jesus says, do you know, really, when you understand your own poverty of spirit, that's not something that makes you rejoice, it makes you mourn. You feel deeply sorry. I was created for the glory of God, but I failed to bring him glory. I failed to make my highest priority the pursuit of his glory. And that one way of testing your life, when you realize how little you do, you do for the glory of God, will drive you to your knees and you will be sorry, and you'll ask God to help you. I don't know if I was in a particularly difficult frame of mind, but um, in preparing this, uh, there was a period of time, maybe about half an hour or so, when I was really, really reflecting on this, and then my mind wandered. I want to tell you this. Every time my mind wandered, it wandered in the direction of self. And I say, dear God, I've got a lot to be humble about and a lot to mourn. But there's also something to celebrate. And that's our encounter with God. Those of you who've been on our weekend encounters will know that a message similar like to this is preached in every encounter. So we all come together, bow before God, lie on our faces before him and say, God, help us. We want to be renewed. We want to be refreshed. We want to rise up with fresh life and fresh repentance. Feeling deep pain for having offended God. And as soon as you do that, then the second part of this beatitude kicks in. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted. Job experienced that. Throughout his whole period of time when he was 
greatly afflicted and he questioned God and couldn't understand what in heaven's name God was playing at in his life. And then at the end, when he saw the Lord, Job 42 verses 5 and 6, he said, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Can you see how healthy that is? And the moment you come down to that point where you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, something happens. The good news of the kingdom kicks in. And the messianic manifesto, the kingdom manifesto that Jesus proclaimed in that synagogue in Nazareth when he read from Isaiah chapter 61, the full passage kicks in, which goes on to say that Jesus has come to proclaim not just the day of vengeance of God, but to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. If you want the oil of gladness, if you want the oil the essential oil of the kingdom, there's only one way to get it, and that's by going down on your knees before God. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a heavy heart, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Wow! The moment you accept that you've sinned against the glory of God and recognize that glory has been stripped away from you and recognize that you have so fallen short of the glory of God that your life has been so dishonoring to Him, the moment you recognize that, He comes down. And He will come down all the way from heaven to earth as He did in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And Jesus took your sorrow that you might have His joy. He took your shame that you might have His glory. He took your sin that you might enjoy the gift of His righteousness. Amen and amen. And so what that means is this, that your sorrow is turned into rejoicing. And you appreciate it so much more. Now, yesterday, as I mentioned early, we had a barbecue. It was the Brazilian barbecue. And there's only one thing better than the Brazilian barbecue is the Argentinian barbecue. I'm saying that for Esteban, who's listening. All right. And we met out of doors. It was Marcelo Albuquerque's 50th birthday. There was cake. There was churrasco. Wow. There was chorizo, there was picanha. No, 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 I'm just getting carried away. But it was just amazing. It's a bit strange at first because we're not used to gathering. But you know what? After 15 months of lockdown, not being able to do that, I appreciated, we all appreciated celebrating and being together more than ever before. And we would not have appreciated as much if we did it every weekend. Now, what I'm saying is this you will appreciate the righteousness God gives you more when you realize that you have none of your own. You will appreciate the glory that God pours out upon you when you know that all you have on your own is shame. And you will appreciate the forgiveness of God when you realize just how much he has forgiven you. So we are back to that last verse 
of James. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. If anybody else does it, it's not the same. If you do it, you lift yourself up, it's definitely not the same. Even if somebody else lifts you up, it's a blessing, but it's not the same. But when God lifts you up and restores his glory to your life, nobody can argue with that, nobody can resist that, and nothing can replace the joy that comes into your life as a result of that. Give Jesus a big praise. So, God is glorified in our salvation and in our repentance. We rise to the praise of the glory of his grace and our very life reflects the praise of his glory. So what we lost is restored because we humbled ourselves and were prepared to mourn and be sorry, deeply sorry for having offended God. That's the way to true joy. That is the essential oil of gladness in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.